Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the Mental Models Podcast. We would like you to continue to support us and uh, our efforts here and show us that uh, you do appreciate uh, the information that we share. Uh, And you can do so by buying our book, Understanding Behavioral Bias. It's available on Amazon. And and if you do buy it, uh, what would really help us out is if you could leave a review. It's available in paperback copy and on Kindle. Both are pretty good value, and we think that uh, you can really explore some of the topics that we touch on here in greater depth. Thank you very much, and we hope you continue to enjoy the Mental Models Podcast. Welcome back to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and here with Dan Krasik, and and we're going to talk a little bit today um, about where we stand the markets and the development of the uh, COVID-19 recession slash depression. Dan, I guess when we talked about this last time, uh, we focused a little bit on the uncertainty associated with everything that uh, was surrounding us. And I don't think uh, that we, I think it was really uh, pretty close to the bottom of the stock market. And uh, we said that the situation would likely have a lot of developments that would be on the horizon. Right. So here we are at the end of April uh, 2020. And indeed, there are a lot of changes uh, in the last few weeks. And uh, we thought we'd just go over some of the uh, the state of affairs and a variety of behavioral uh, features with, that uh, accompany uh, those, those situations. We were on the verge of the government taking pretty significant action uh, in uh, late March. At that time, uh, the CARES Act had not yet been passed, and uh, it was a, a very large, uh, it, right now I guess it's, it's, there have been four parts. Uh, the latest one that's passed is around $500 billion. Uh, but the the predecessor to that was over two uh, trillion dollars worth of relief, which is really a staggering amount if you think about the economy, which is somewhere around nineteen trillion dollars in GDP annually. The total amount of stimulus that's been passed to date is close to three trillion dollars, uh, and then with Fed intervention, the Fed has increased the size of its balance sheet uh, by somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half trillion dollars. So when we put that all together, it's five and a half trillion dollars worth of intervention that's been put to work. Uh, And arguably, the the economy has stalled significantly uh, and and likely will continue to be in a stall state uh, for some time. Uh, But nonetheless, the bringing all of this uh, fiscal and monetary stimulus together, uh, which really started to culminate in late March, provided a backdrop uh, for the market to rally, and it has rallied quite significantly. The S&P to date is up somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, the high 20s, uh, somewhere around 28% uh, from the bottom uh, in what has been the most 
dramatic rally that we have ever um, witnessed. Um, now, mind you, that rally is in the context of the sharpest fall uh, and most dramatic fall uh, over the briefest period of time uh, that has ever really been recorded in U.S. stock market history, including the Great Depression. So when you have these extremely unusual events that uh, are, are almost one-offs, it's very hard to know exactly what to make of it. Uh, we're sort of in uncharted waters, and it's quite volatile. And we talk a lot about narratives. Everyone has their own perspective on how to interpret uh, events on the ground. And there's a lot of uh, speculation here. Because we just don't, these are not normal times. And so people are left to fill in the gaps. Um, essentially, we're, we're probably more dependent on narrative and storyline than ever. And price reinforces that uh, to some degree. So uh, I think it's maybe fair to say that we're more decoupled from uh, reality than normal. And there are fewer indicators that are going to be reliable as to where we're headed and so this is where um, these are challenging times for sure, since everyone's operating from some uh, general picture. Yes, they're going to have I a lot of gaps and variations from person to person. If we talk about the market in terms of typically you'll, you'll think in terms of valuation. Uh, before the crisis occurred, uh, the, the sell side had an estimate that earnings for uh, the S&P 500, we're going to be around $166. Uh, right now, uh, the market is at about $2,840. So if you took the original estimate before the crisis occurred, then the market would be trading at a multiple for this year of 17 times, which is really not uh, a cheap multiple at all. That's pretty expensive in the historical context. And now earnings have come down for the year to somewhere in the neighborhood of $150, which pushes us up to a multiple that we haven't seen a forward multiple for the market since uh, really the 2000s. So the market's trading quite rich on a forward multiple basis. Now, mind you, a lot of it depends upon what happens to the market. If we can look through that and look to 2021, you can make some argument that uh, there's going to be pretty significant recovery that we'll see uh, on the back of this as we return to normalcy. But when we think about the narrative right now that has driven this giant rally, and, and you always have to remember that price reinforces narrative. We have that reflexive uh, relationship between uh, a narrative or a perception of reality and the movement of price. So if price is going up, it tends to reinforce the positive narrative. And if it's going down, it tends to reinforce the negative narrative. People are feeling pain when it's going down. So the negative narrative has more efficacy they're uh, experiencing pain of missing out, the fear of missing out, uh, particularly when you've had a large drawdown and stocks are going up uh, and there's some optimistic uh, narrative that is available. The optimistic narrative that we're currently working under started with the CARES Act expansion uh, and the passing of that bill along with the Fed coming and 
and saying that there would be no limit to their quantitative needs, then it was reinforced with a flattening of the curve that we saw in early April. And lately, what we've seen with every piece of information that is reinforcing this notion that the curve is either flattening or that we may have a virus or some sort of, or an antivirus, a, uh, a vaccine or some remedies, uh, remdesivir is one example when there was news that Gilead had uh, some success with their ongoing trials there that came up in a, in a periodical. Uh, the market actually rallied three over 3%, which I've never seen before, the market actually rallying off of the success of the drug trial. I guess everybody in the market got to be a biotech investor that day. But the narrative at this point that's driven this is that we're going to get through this uh, and that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But the question, I think, progressively as we go and we look forward, because it's not really where the stock market's been that we care about, it's where it's going. Uh, we have to think about the context of valuation of the market, and we have to think about uh, what the, the, the future narrative will be. And I think what is progressively coming into the dialogue today is questions about how quickly we'll be able to reopen and what will economic life be like after we uh, have gotten to the point where the virus and uh, the growth of the virus is no longer in a geometric stage uh, that that's has been somewhat curtailed. So we're talking about events uh, yet to come. Uh, everyone is uh, confident we will return to normalcy in some sense, but the timing is completely uncertain at this point. So as you mentioned, any any notion of a, of a treatment or a vaccine, um, that's that's going to be one of those indicators that things are going to turn around quicker, but um, everyone's somewhat uncertain as to really what that's going to look like. And so any positive news can really be um, latched onto and make dramatic change. Uh, but if it doesn't bear out, things may shift yet again. And uh, we're just in very uncertain times where one, one could find evidence of, of change, but it's just not forthcoming reliably at the moment. Um, this is one of those situations where uh, it varies by region as well. Certainly more populated regions uh, are going to have different outcomes. And we talked about analogies in a recent episode where, um, you know, you sort of make comparisons of w what's occurring in a certain area of the world or a certain community. And they may not be valid analogies based on population density and uh, local government the, the policies and uh, always, even climate and things. We're always making our decisions within the context of our experience. Uh, so we can think about uh, the Great Recession and... Everyone knows that that was a very uh, that that was a very difficult time. They have used that as a benchmark as to how bad things may get, whether that's appropriate or not. But they also, I think, have everyone has been somewhat conditioned over this very long expansion that we've had that it always makes sense to buy the dip. And so one thing that we've seen in this rally is a very large. Of uh, retail investors. Uh, you can track this 
if you go to uh, Robinhood, Robinhood actually has some metrics that allows you to track uh, the number of individual investors that are investing in different stocks. And in most cases that we've looked at, we've seen a tripling, uh, if not more, of the number of investors uh, that are piling into different issues. Uh, you can imagine someone staying at home, uh, particularly if they have a pension to gamble, and they're not able to do that because seniors are all shut down. Uh, so the stock market could be an interesting avenue. We have this constant news that uh, we're receiving with updates on the virus, and it, it makes some sense that, that uh, there's a connection between the, de the narrative, the development of the news, and uh, the trading of the stock market. But what I'm afraid of is that this exuberance that we've seen in the market doesn't take into account that returning to normal is not likely to be, uh, you know, just a, a resumption of how life was like before February of this year. Uh, for one, there will be a lot of businesses that will have failed. They will have gone bankrupt. There will be a lot of businesses that to make it through this period of time where they have very little revenue, uh, they will have incurred pretty significant indebtedness. And if you look at what has driven the rally in the stock market as far as structural purchasing power, it is largely based off of corporations borrowing money that is quite cheap because of low interest rates and then buying more expensive equity. We've had over $2 trillion worth of equity purchases from corporations over the course of the expansion. And uh, now, as we, it, it, you know, once we get to the point where we get some stabilization and people start to go back to work, uh, for one, it won't be a return right back to where we were before because there's going to be a lot of businesses that won't have made it. Uh, there will have been a lot of bankruptcies along the way. I think in oil and gas, we'll see a tremendous number of bankruptcies, uh, just given the dynamics of the fact that you have a lot of oil that has been put into supply, supply is getting to a point, or into, into storage, storage is getting to a point where they can no longer hold it. Uh, this last week, we actually saw negative, negative oil prices, and uh, you're going to have less travel, you're probably going to have less people, less demand for office space as people have become more comfortable working from home. Uh, we'll have fewer restaurants, and when we do go back to the restaurants, there will continue to be social distancing. I saw one restaurateur comment that, you know, our business is actually less profitable opening up, partially opening up the restaurant and having to space people out at six feet than for us to just provide curbside service. So going back to normal is probably going to look different. The, the challenge we have in these kind of situations where something has fundamentally, a lot of things have fundamentally changed, is that we only can imagine things based on our vast experience so far with the pre-COVID-19 uh, life. And I'm reminded of, uh, we've talked about evolutionary theory occasionally in this podcast, and I'm rem reminded of the term punctuated equilibrium, which is a phenomenon from um, the evolution of, of biological systems, ecosystems. And that really states that you have these periods of equilibrium where things are, an ecosystem is essentially humming along and the life forms are pretty well optimized for their particular niche. 
and their particular behavior. And you can imagine a similar thing in a business landscape where uh, systems have, have basically uh, settled into some state of uh, function, functionality, where there's kind of a boundary where um, things can go up or down within some degree. But what we've we've experienced here, the reason it's punctuated equilibrium is we're punctuated by vast context changes, environmental shifts that are occurring. And that's what we're ha what's happening right now. We have uh, a tremendous break in in business practices and and lifestyle practices. And what will happen is uh, some business models will fail. They're no longer adapted to the new reality. Others will uh, take hold. And I think this is accelerating a pace we were already on. So we were already moving toward a lot of online commerce, you know, less storefront businesses, less smaller businesses. Some of that is, is going to continue now at an accelerated pace. And so I think that punctuated equilibrium model, which is often associated with Stephen Jay Gould uh, from back in the 1970s, uh, if you're interested in that, I think it very much applies here where the normal will be an equilibrium state. However, there'll be some some fundamental structural changes by comparison to what we had at the last yeah, equilibrium, which uh, has ended recently. instances where that may be occurring, uh, one instance that uh, I, we focus on saver point. We have an investment in a tissue paper company. Uh, they also make what's called the SBS box board. It's a company called Clearwater Paper. If you think about something as simple as as tissue paper, uh, tissue is used, of course, for bathroom tissue. Uh, it's used for facial tissue, and it's used for paper towels. You can see that there is this increased shift in demand, particularly now. For, for facial tissue and for paper towels as people try to disinfect surfaces. I think going forward, we'll be more aware and conscious of keeping things germ-free and uh, trying to avoid contagion, which gives a tailwind to that business that will likely be sustained. Uh, we've all heard about hoarding of tissue paper, uh, of, to of toilet tissue paper, uh, the interesting dynamic there is there's a distinction between at-home tissue and tissue that is consumed away from home. So you can think like when you go into an office building and you use the restroom in the bathroom, you'll see this giant drop that has tissue in it uh, that's in a plastic container with a key on it. Uh, those drums are very, very different than the tissue that you'll buy like the Charmin Ultrasoft at the grocery store. And so it's actually a different tissue with different materials, often with recycled content. Yes, but the reality yeah, I really is prefer that Charmin Ultra myself. percent of all tissue that's manufactured is actually manufactured for that away from home use, which is not getting used. They're in hotels, they're in restaurants, they're in office buildings. As people shelter in place or they restrict their travel, uh, then you just see much more at-home consumption. So consumption is higher. If you're unemployed, right, which we're going to have a higher rate of unemployment, there will be more people that will be at home consuming more at-home tissue. If you're now going to work at home because you've seen the benefits associated with uh, not having a commute, the environmental impact of not 
consuming fossil fuels to get to work and uh, just the convenience associated with not having to go in the office, which some people will actually prefer. I think we'll see more of a shift of people being at home. And again, that will mean more consumption of at-home tissue. So like you were saying, it's somewhat like just a shift in the environment. The, the asteroid has struck the Earth and many of the dinosaurs, such as uh, old brick-and-mortar retail, that trend of those dying off and people moving to online, that's been accelerated. Uh, there will be a change of the winners and the losers in this new environment. Right. Probably most people have, in back in somewhere in high school biology, had the discussion about uh, the peppered moth in England, which is one of the classic stories about natural selection. Essentially, the, the peppered moth was uh, proliferating with a lighter colored moth being about 90% of the population, and darker colored peppered moths were about 10%. And then pollution increased dramatically, suddenly making for an environment in which it's better to be the dark colored peppered moth, and those uh, percentages shifted dramatically. And uh, they would likely shift again once, um, you know, environmental cleanup would happen. So it all ties back to what, what you just said about, you know, paper goods is one of those examples for investing where you can find opportunities at this boundary where there's going to be a real shift and uh, proportions of usage will change um, based on the circumstances right now. So getting back to the uh, broader picture, which we, we talked about earlier, Everyone is, is somewhat operating from a schema, you know, a, a set of uh, basic ground rules, which is pre-COVID-19. And in many cases, that will still apply. But what uh, return to normal is going to look like will have some of these nuanced, really important factors. They're going to last, you know, beyond this period of uh, shelter in place. We may be also more prepared for future sheltering in place should there be another flare up. Um, you know, there's a reason to think people will actually not Definitely. fully resume life as normal across society. That's persisted throughout this rally uh, could be cut short as we come to grips with the fact that we're actually now moving into a, this different world that will be different. Uh, the, the drivers of the economy will be adjusted. Uh, but I don't think that there's a full recognition of that. I think there's an assumption that we'll return back to some state of normalcy. Uh, and as we, we change that narrative and shift that narrative and we come to uh, the realization uh, that we won't have uh, perhaps the same level of a tailwind that you're going to get from buybacks, uh, that you're going to have a lot of corporations that have a higher level of indebtedness that they need to service, uh, which will reduce the amount that they'll be able to invest uh, with respect to adding uh, money for research and development, money for uh, capital expenditures. And we've seen before that when you have higher levels of indebtedness within an economy, it tends to be a significant drag on growth because what we spend today and borrow today we ultimately have to pay back. Uh, so uh, we're probably at a point now, it, 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 it's not uncommon in the Great Depression, uh, after the initial drawdown of the stock market, there was a rally from the bottom that was actually up 50%. I would not be surprised 
uh, if we see this fade as some of the dialogue shifts and there's a realization uh, that uh, things won't necessarily return back to uh, the way they were. Right, and all we can often go from on comparisons is something that happened in the past. So, yes, Great Recession is it's going to be a comparison that's made. I would go back to what we said in our analogy episode of try to isolate those structural factors where you can find similarities. Um, don't just look at superficial similarities and assume that things will play out the same way they did before um, because certain things are structurally going to be different. Um, so keep an eye on that uh, for sure. So we've talked about uh, COVID-19 in, in 2020, and uh, we talked a little about the danger of making comparisons to the past. Uh, we talked about punctuated equilibrium concept from evolution, and we happen to be in one of those punctuated points. Uh, there'll be a new equilibrium, and it'll look a little bit different than uh, the current situation. And we talked, of course, about reflexivity, and we definitely encourage you to check out our prior episode on reflexivity from late uh, fall 2019. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a job. Please subscribe and like Mental Models Podcast. The five-star book, Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision-Making, is available through Amazon. This book will help you overcome the biases that are keeping you from investing success. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please subscribe and thank you for listening.